0: Today's scripture is from Psalm 98. This is the New Living Translation. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm has shown his saving power. The Lord has announced his victory and has revealed his righteousness to every nation. He has remembered his promise to love and be faithful to Israel. The ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and melodious song, with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn. Make a joyful symphony before the Lord the king. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness.
1: Gostoyevsky was a great Russian writer. He wrote War and Peace. Everybody, when they think about long books, thinks about War and Peace, or Crime and Punishment, or the Brothers Karamazov. Those were just some of what he's written, what he wrote. He wrote in the late 1800s, well, that was the time that he wrote, but he also said that uh, human beings are the ungrateful bipeds the ungrateful biped. That was his kind of summary or his observation about human beings is that we are ungrateful people. An ungrateful person lives without any reference or awareness to the people around them. Now that doesn't mean that they don't necessarily see them or they don't ever talk to them or anything like that. But by and large, their orientation is primarily self and this person is is lost in in self in thoughts and feelings and emotions and desires and intentions that's their world give this person a gift and they will say oh i like this gift this is just what i wanted and there will be no connection to the context of that gift, who gave it to you, or what, what it meant to them as they gave it to you. I would call this awareness or non-awareness orientation. Orientation. Uh, Boy Scouts, well, and other people I'm sure as well, did a thing called orienteering. And in an orienteering, they would give you a map and a compass and you were supposed to find your way to some point that this compass, or that this uh, uh, map had marked on it. So when you orienteer, you, you, uh, you're very aware of your compass points. You're very aware of major things that you can look at to make sure that you're on course. Uh, one of the things that orienteers do is they will say, uh, I need to go in this direction, and so I'm going to look from here to here. Oh, there's a big tree there, or there is a mountain there, or there is a water tower there. And I want to make sure that I keep that water tower in between me and the direction I'm going. And it keeps, they're orienting themselves, to the world around them. Sometimes orientation Uh, has to do, is used in in, uh, uh, space exploration or uh, in flying an airplane. What is your orientation? They will say. Human beings have been trained uh, or not trained to have orientation to others themselves or to self got to thinking about how much uh, commercial advertising has to do with sell. Think about how much it has to do with sell. Uh, remember that first L'Oreal commercial? I'm I use L'Oreal because I'm worth it. Well, okay, so we understand marketing, but imagine what that does to you when you spend a lifetime bathing in that, that orientation, that point of view that focus that uh, you should be concerned about yourself alone I think this, this comes to us in the uh, habits and rituals that are uh, part of our, our, our homes as we grow up, as our, our birth homes uh, my mother was really, really good about writing people Thank you notes. Uh, if you if you got something from uh, from her, if she got something rather from you, you could bet that there would be a a thank you note in your mailbox from her. Uh, she would write notes to people just to tell them that she cared about them, and and she hoped they were getting well or congratulations on the new baby or whatever it was. And so there was this huge orientation outward that she modeled for us. Uh, We really kind of learn orientation in terms of of reading other people. Um, I'm I'm sometimes uh, totally amazed at what people miss. Uh, The tear on the cheek, the expression of the face, the perhaps horror or the repulsion or the happiness that the other person is feeling that we, we fail to pick up on. I think that's taught. I think what we do is we, we teach each other to pay attention to that because it's important communication. Um, Joel's story about the guy doing this, I think it's a really, really important thing. That guy was paying attention to the frown on Joel's face. And, and he, was, he was paying attention to it, and he was uh, paying attention to Joel, and he was saying, I'd really love to see you smile today. That's orientation. I think we learn this kind of orientation in in teachings of various sorts that give us a vocabulary for relationships, give us a vocabulary for relationships. And so it causes me to think about how somebody may be feeling in light of X, Y, Z causes me to think about what impact my absence will have on the people that I care about. Uh, it teaches me to think about what I can do for other people that will be valuable to them. And so today I want with that as background to talk about thankfulness because next Thursday, we're going to be sitting around the table eating Thanksgiving turkey and hopefully giving thanks. Hopefully, day after day, not only on Thanksgiving, being thankful people. Uh, I, I love this, this psalm, uh, verse 4 says, Shout to the Lord, all the earth break out in praise and sing for joy. Uh, This is to be the posture of of the child of God. There's a great movie Uh, 1980s when it came out called The Gods Must Be Crazy. If you haven't seen it, you should go rent it right now. It is a great movie. And um, I have to tell you a little bit about it, but I won't tell you too much. It's about an African bushman that by the way, who's a real McCoy African Bushman, and he's walking across the Kalahari, the desert where he lived, and a plane flies over, uh, something like a Piper Cub, and the pilot opens his little window and throws a Coke bottle out. because He's just finished drinking his Coke. And this Coke bottle falls to the earth and lands very near this African Bushman. And the whole movie is about what is set loose in this man's life and in the life of his people because of this one Coke bottle. And his conclusion was that the gods must be crazy dropping this thing in the midst of our life. Uh, you'll, you'll love the movie. It's, it's wonderful. But, but think, about, think about the lesson. That this movie also has to teach. The world of the Africans, uh, as well as all the world of ancient Israel, was full of gods. Full of gods. But today we've so modernized our modernized our world, traveling in all electric cars and and traveling, uh, sending spaceships to Mars wonder of that. Isn't mean it amazing when you start to think about that? Uh, but the end result is that it's caused us to not have much faith in the supernatural natural or the, the mysterious. We really don't. We think in terms of human potential. We think in terms of what we can do. And so we think about global warming and we, we think, well, we can handle this. So we start thinking about what we are going to do to help correct for global warming. Uh, Henry Sloan Coffin, who was uh, once president of Union Theological Seminary in New York, also pastor of Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, once said, that, if the commandments to have no other gods before me was written for today, it probably would say, "Thou shalt have at least one God." now he, coffin's not talking about trying to create an alternative to God for us what he what he was talking about in saying that was our tendency to Uh, demystify life, to make life a scientific proposition, something that uh, mankind is responsible for. Thou shalt have at least one God. I, I love that because it's a call to become more a person of faith and mystery and wondering about how we got here and why we have reasons to be thankful. John Killinger said in his little book, To My People With Love, it was uh, the little book about the Ten Commandments, said this, nothing is sacred anymore. So when the psalmist says, oh, sing to the Lord, to whom do we sing? often says you, shall, you should have at least one God. Killinger says nothing is sacred anymore. Kind of the same thing just in different words. Nothing is sacred anymore. Do we sing to the God who threw down the Coke bottle? Or maybe one of the gods of ancient Israel like Baal? but we really don't keep anything sacred, do we? The psalmist wanted his audience to take notice of of Yahweh's presence, of God's presence. Uh, What a different orientation he had to the pagan world in which he lived. Uh, A guy named Mark Thonbritt wrote, We live in a world that refuses to recognize the God who created the sun, moon, and stars, how can this psalm, addressed to a world awash in too many gods, speak to a world that has room for none? I think you have to have something to sing. I think uh, it, maybe it's part of our orientation, is, is becoming aware of all the things in this life that we have that we would not have without God. Uh, just the wonder of human life. Uh, the wonder of, of human potential and human creativity and all of that is an amazing thing. The wonder of human love. Where did that come from? We didn't even learn that from a slime pit. That's divine. So the psalmist gives us a catalog. He says, sing about God's wonderful works. Sing about His wonderful works. God has been victorious against God's enemies. God has been steadfast and faithful to me. How is God worked in your life, how, is it, how have you seen Him through all of the ups and downs of life, all of the things that are confusing and dark and, and all that, how, where have you seen God work? Where have you, got, where have you seen God's alive? psalmist says, use every instrument you have to praise the Lord. Use it all. I, I think, I grew up in, a, in an a cappella tradition. And I I love a cappella music. There's nothing like the human voice. But I I think it's kind of silly now at this point in my life when I I think that, that we said in our tradition that there's nothing else, there's no other sound that is praiseworthy to God except the human voice. how I felt this morning, is it you? Psalmist says use everything that you have to praise the Lord. Bang on a drum, rattle a tambourine, play a piano, praise the Lord. And the psalmist says, listen to the way that creation praises God. Sea, flood, hills. Dev and I have Watch a couple of uh, documentaries about the creation and about animals, and, and we're just constantly amazed by what is available to us in this world. Uh, you know how much we love our little dog, and uh, we we sit around and we laugh at the way that she communicates to us, and she does. She's really a bright dog. And sometimes you can just almost see her shaking her head, going, you dummies, would you please listen to me? Because there's something that she wants. I'm thinking about all the possible songs that would take up a resonance in our head right now. Uh, I don't think that I, I have ever been more irritated by that are designed to be earworms. They're, they're designed to take up residence in your brain and you can't get rid of them. I think the most disgusted I have ever felt was when uh, about two months ago major commercial started singing, started using as its background music the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas song. Not about Jesus, but just about the season of Christmas. Dear one. It's in your head. doesn't mean anything. It's, It's just a song. It's just some notes, some music. But it also supplies no hope nor solution for today's mindless moral bankruptcy. The psalmist would say, Use everything that you've got to praise the Lord. He doesn't say this in this psalm, but I think that's the way out of our moral bankruptcy. When we start praising God, we start seeing God's work in our lives. We start to see God in the little dog in our house. We start opening ourselves up to greater moral possibilities. We began by talking about mankind as being the ungrateful biped. This is not to say I'm, I'm not bleak and, and dark about the human race. I think there are grateful people. But I would say that we do have, uh, we have a, a terrible outbreak, an epidemic of ungratefulness. If you're given a gift, you can either orient to how much you like it or how much you like the joy that it brought someone else giving it to you. Remember that, that gift you bought somebody that you, you thought about and you put some time and energy into getting that gift? How it made you feel to be able to say here? That's a change of orientation when you start thinking about uh, what the other person has done for you. Commercial world does not want you to think about that commercial world wants you to think about how much you like that gift. That's what they want. Uh, The same way the Psalter wants you to think about God, I think that the psalmist would also say that in order to be a grateful, praise-giving person, you have to do two things. The first is to dwell on the presence of God and how it gets communicated to us. And the second is to actually express it through singing, through praise to God, through the way that we talk about God and give attention to the things that God has done in our lives. I think that's the only way that we can be rescued from the Madison Avenue God is by turning our attention to God. I guess one of my my greatest uh, my greatest frustrations is is this thing that I see in humanity. Uh, You see it when you when you do something gracious for somebody in the public sphere. Maybe you're going into a store and you stand you, you. Take a little extra time to hold the door for them, and then they just blow by you and don't ever say to you anything. To you, don't engage you, don't look at you, don't smile at you. To me, that's a symptom of, of what's going on in our world. So I want to challenge you to think about uh, gratitude and uh, what gratitude does to to change us, to to make us turn outward rather than inward think about other people rather than ourselves primarily. Uh, yes, there's something about a gift that makes you go, Oh, wow, this is so neat. I, I, I love this. But there's also that part of the gift. The gift kind of has two sides to it. The other part of it is that uh, it comes with, Emotions. It comes with intention. It comes with with goodwill. Or, in the case of God, it comes with huge unconditional love for us as His creatures. Let's pray. Creator God, you have made this world, our little solar system, our galaxy, so vast that it alone defines, defies comprehension, let alone all the other millions and billions of galaxies who are our neighbors, may our orientation always be toward you and not ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.